Welcome to The Road to Rural Prosperity, featuring stories about rural Oklahoma and rural America. Guiding us on the journey today is our host, Ron Hayes. Well, thank you, Billy, and welcome to another edition of The Road to Rural Prosperity. Pleased to have along with us today the congressman who represents more of the state of Oklahoma when you start talking geography than any of our House congressional delegation, Congressman Frank Lucas, who represents the 3rd Congressional District. The 3rd District basically stretches over about half of the state from uh, the northeastern parts of the state up around Bartlesville all the way down to the Altus area in the southwestern corner of the state and, of course, out to the Oklahoma Panhandle as well, all the way out to Kenton, Oklahoma. Congressman Lucas talking with us uh, this time on the long line from his office in Washington, D.C. about uh, some of the current legislation that's been going through the House. Char 1, which Congressman Lucas describes as something of a power grab by the Democrats when it comes to voting issues. There's the $1.9 trillion budget reconciliation bill, which uh, Congressman Lucas describes as something of a wish list for Nancy Pelosi and, and the uh, Democrats. And then we get into talking about things like the confirmation of Tom Vilsack, what's going on within USDA, the different USDA that Tom Vilsack is taking over when it comes to the, the uh, various priorities that the Biden administration is trying to uh, put into place. We also talk about Gina McCarty from EPA days from the Obama era, and today she's the climate czar, and a lot more. We'll be back with Congressman Lucas in just a few moments on the road to rural prosperity after these messages. Howdy neighbors, Ron Hayes here for Union Mutual Insurance of Oklahoma. Union Mutual has served the insurance needs of rural Oklahoma for over 80 years. And I'm excited to tell you about a premier product that we've introduced to serve your insurance needs even better. Our town and country policy is new and here to save you money and offer you true protection for your property. When it comes to protecting your property with a company that you can trust, give your local agent a call and tell them that you want Union Mutual's town and country policy. At Union Mutual, we care about your protection, not your politics. With communities from border to border, Bank First lenders understand the needs of today's agricultural market. Whether you need to purchase land, equipment, or livestock, or maybe need an operating line of credit, call on Bank First. They are a certified lender with the Farm Service Agency and can help with specialized financing when other banks can't. Bank First is proud to serve the needs of the Sooner State's agricultural market. Bank First is loyal to Oklahoma and you. Member FDIC, loan subject to approved credit. Talking today with 3rd District Congressman Frank Lucas. Uh, Congressman, uh, busy time here uh, in the new year. It seems like uh, uh, you've seen a lot of of legislation and a lot of uh, nominations from the Biden administration being made and the like. Might talk about something that's just passed at the House. I know that you oppose H.R. 1. Tell me about about this bill and why, why you opposed it. Ron, this is a dramatic rewrite of how the election laws work in this country. Since uh, the first Congress in 1789, the Constitution, basically, since it was ratified in 1788, leaves 85% of the election laws to states. Now, the federal government determines uh, which year, what month we do presidential elections. He determines which uh, year and which month we do congressional general elections. But the mechanics of registration... The mechanics of actually conducting the elections, counting and certifying, that's traditionally been a state requirement. 
I come from Oklahoma, and when I was in the state legislature, as you well know, uh, we had a dramatic change in our election laws in 1992. We went from the paper ballots to the modern machines where we used a paper ballot that scanned and preserved a copy. We have very straightforward uh, voter registration laws. We have very straightforward absentee laws and how they're to be counted and what a spoiled ballot is. I would suggest that in spite of Speaker Pelosi and the Democrat majority's efforts to nationalize federal election law, and that's the net effect of H.R. 1, had they used the Oklahoma system, I'd be willing to consider that. But the best way to describe it is you take the most amazing parts of California law and the most amazing parts of New York election law, and that would be the federal standard. And we just can't do that, Ron. I mean, after all, in Oklahoma, we know on election night, and we know early on election night who's won, and we can be confident who's won, whether they're running for county commissioner or president of the United States in Oklahoma. But but the East Coast, the West Coast, and many of the states they don't know for days, weeks, and this time it seemed like months. So I voted against making the mess in certain states the national mess. I like the Oklahoma system. I like the way the law works here at home. While we're talking about some of the legislation that's rolling through right now, it seems that uh, Ms. Pelosi is on a roll. Uh, she was able to get uh, the uh, almost $2 trillion um, uh, budget reconciliation bill. Again, pretty well a straight party line vote. The Democrats are ro- pushing these things through. Uh, your, your thoughts on budget reconciliation and what it, it may mean uh, for, uh, for America if we do see it passed by the, by the Senate? For background for our listeners, Ron, budget reconciliation was something created in the 1974 Budget Act. It's a vehicle to be used once in a budget cycle. It was designed to reduce spending, not increase it dramatically like the $1.9 trillion that Speaker Pelosi wants to do, but reduce spending. And in order to accelerate reducing spending, it set up a process for a simple majority passage in the House and a simple majority, more importantly, a simple majority passage in the United States Senate. Nancy and her bunch and the new incoming Biden administration have it for a wish list of everything. There's about 10% of this 1.9 billion that you could put your finger on and say that will make a difference in the next few months, the next month, maybe the next year in fighting the COVID battle, because they call it the COVID-19 reconciliation package. But in fact, 90% of the spending is two or three or four years down the road. They're just trying to fill the checkbook full of cash while they have a window of opportunity that they can spend over the next few years on their pet projects. That's not why we should be a part of this. I voted for the five previous uh, COVID aid packages because we had to keep the country going, and we've done amazingly well in that regard. But Nancy and her buddies, it's a wish list. This means that we'll have a COVID package, a reconciliation package now. There'll be one in the fall that will fund the federal government. There'll be one more reconciliation package next spring. I predict the only three bills of consequence that pass will be those reconciliations, and it'll be because Nancy can slam the process without the input of Republicans or, for that matter, anybody on the outside. So uh, technically, this is uh, in in this fiscal year that started, what, back October 1, Mm -hmm. uh, is, is, is this the only reconciliation that can happen until, what, September 30 then? Because they didn't do a budget last year, they used the budget process of a few weeks ago to set up for reconciliation. That will enable them to have one more budget, perhaps in May, and that will set up budget reconciliation number two in the fall to fund the federal government. 
Come spring of 2022, they'll pass one more budget resolution, and that'll set up a third budget reconciliation with a 50-50 tie in the United States Senate where Vice President Harris breaks the tie every morning to say that Chuck Schumer of New York is the majority leader. The United States House, where Nancy only has a five-seat majority, we picked up 15 seats. She only has a five-seat majority. They barely have enough people to get this done. So if they're going to run a partisan bill, they've got to slam it. Budget reconciliation is the most effective way to slam it. So you're going to have three big slam bills this uh, in this two-year cycle. And that's about it. It's amazing that uh, she's holding her her party totally together to get this uh, type of stuff done. The Speaker runs uh, the House uh, from her side of the room with an iron fist. You can say what you might want to have about uh, Newt Gingrich or maybe John Boehner, but I've never seen anybody as ruthless may not be the exact word, but as forceful and intense as she is in keeping her group together. Now, when that when that coalition fractures the first time, uh, then this will go off the rails and she'll have no control. But right now, the underclassmen, and that's part of the problem of operating on COVID-19. We don't have in-person committee hearings. We can't all go to vote at the same time on the floor together even. We're not in D.C. much. We spend all our time on Zoom and Web and WebEx. Opportunity for her underclassmen to develop relationships to figure out what's going on. So, therefore, they're left with what they're being told by their leadership, uh, and that won't bode well for them in 2022, a bunch of those young members. Do you know that, uh, of course, over on the other side, they've been uh, busy on the Senate side. They've been uh, busy with uh, some of the uh, the nominations and the, the confirmation type process. That includes uh, Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack uh, coming back around for his second go-round after being uh, the Obama secretary. Now he's the Biden secretary. Your, your thoughts about Mr. Vilsack uh, as he moves forward and tries to uh, uh, get his arms around USDA, this different USDA? I don't know whether my first response would be that I'm extremely pleased or extremely relieved that uh, Secretary Vilsack is back uh, in control at USDA. We had a rocky relationship early on when he was secretary the first time, and I was ranking member and chairman of the Ag Committee. But we developed a working relationship. We worked together on the 2014 Farm Bill. He was actually very helpful in getting that comprehensive bill passed. So of all the people that could have possibly been nominated by this administration, uh, Tom is the best possible individual. So we're fortunate in that regard. Now, he comes into uh, USDA where he has to reflect the national administration's priorities, things like uh, racial justice. I think they're going to turn the USDA programs and maybe many of the USDA personnel people upside down over there. But in the name of racial justice, uh, they're very focused at the White House on climate change. Now, I believe the secretary, from his past experiences, like myself, is a supporter of voluntary incentive-based solutions. Think about EQIP. Think about all the conservation programs we worked on together for years. But we'll see what he's able to do. He does work for the president. And then uh, there's talk down at USDA and the White House about their version of some kind of a carbon a carbon capture bank. They want to use the money in the Commodity Credit Corporation to fund that. That causes me great angst because CCC is, in effect, the checking account for crop insurance, all of conservation, the programs that USDA runs. So if they're going to use our program money for their projects, then at the very least they've got to replenish that $30 billion or increase that $30 billion on hand 
in order to uh, in order to make sure the programs work. He's also going to be, I think, focused on uh, the cattle industry and and meatpacking. And I believe he's supportive of things like the ramp up legislation that I've act that I've worked on to try and expand access to packers. I know he's a proponent of cool, but I've also heard the secretary say that you have to have something that will pass the WTO standards. And that's been a problem all along in that regard. And oh, don't forget, uh, even though he's the secretary of Ag, he was the former governor of Iowa. He's a very biofuels oriented guy. So uh, be prepared for a push to go to 15% ethanol in the in the blend mix. So, but by and large, he's the best person we could hope for, but he is a part of the Biden administration, and he is a man of his background, person of his background. So I'll work with him, and I'll help, uh, as I did uh, in the Obama administration, steer him in the, in the right direction from the perspective of uh, agriculture in Oklahoma and, and producers in general. Seems like that uh, in the case of, uh, of USDA, we're, we're seeing all those releases, but I'm sure you're seeing it with a lot of the other uh, agencies as well. A lot of special advisors being named uh, this go around uh, climate, as you mentioned, the, the racial justice issue and fair competitive markets. They, they really are trying to load load up these agencies with a lot of uh, people to make sure they, they keep the uh, I guess the uh, the uh, agency heads all focused. Absolutely. That uh, in the Soviet Union, they called them commissars when the Communist Party officials were there to make sure the army followed through on their instructions. I won't exactly use the phrase commissars here, but I would note they're not going to call them czars anymore. That caused them too much grief in the days of the Obama administration. They'll be special this and they'll be special that. But the point is they'll be driving the executive branch uh, career people to do what uh, what the White House political department dictates. I guess what uh, I've heard the, the terms are used for Ms. McCarty uh, over in the White House for for uh, uh, for climate. I guess she's going to be kind of keeping her thumb on all these various people in the various agencies. I would. Uh, it's not the December season, but I would kind of think of her as the ghost of Christmas past. Yeah, like a number of people in this administration, you're seeing the and I picked this up from the Democrats that I serve with in Congress. They're amazed at the number of Obama people who are reappearing all over the landscape in the executive branch. You mentioned uh, the issue of uh, some of these cattle market issues, the ramp up, of course, uh, a part of that uh, measure that was passed back in December with uh, with some uh, significant money still to be spent for uh, CFAP that uh, hasn't been released by the uh, by the administration yet. Uh, that that uh, I know that uh, we've been told that there's some very specific language in within that measure that would basically tell USDA to spend some money on cattle producers that did not participate from that because they sold cattle after April 15 last year. Is that is that your understanding? That is the intent of the language, and you put your thumb on something that all of, all of us in cattle country will be encouraging, pushing, driving, however you want to describe it, the department to live up to uh, what the what the law says under the rules, yes. We've talked before yes. about some of these things that, uh, as it relates to the, the cattle uh, cattle markets, and we've got uh, uh, Senator Fisher's measure back again that uh, we call for some, some regional minimums as far as, um, uh, I guess, uh, cash market uh, activities. Uh, your, your thoughts on that measure, is that something that, that you might see a, a lot of traction on, you think, this year? Just, I always advocate to people be be careful with proposals from members of Congress 
who want to change the whole system in what occurs in their states. If it was totally successful, whatever they're doing in a particular state, they wouldn't need to bring the rest of us into that. Uh, a little bit reminiscent of the California standards on raising everything from chickens to livestock. At this point, uh, you, you, you know, I know that there's uh, a lot of a uh, lot of conversation about that whole topic. Are you are you are you still thinking we're going to have to probably maybe uh, inject the government more into uh, uh, that conversation on, uh, uh, I guess, price competitiveness, uh, transparency and the like in these cattle markets? Remember, we're still waiting on that Department of Justice uh, investigation on whether there are monopolies monopolistic tendencies in the packing industry, and there's some analysis that will come out of USDA. I keep telling everyone down at the department, and I have fewer contacts at Justice. That's not within my committee jurisdiction uh, ever, but I keep reminding do your work, get it done. If you find a problem, lay it out in a straightforward fashion. We will respond legislatively. But if there's a problem there, be upfront, be honest, be prompt, and we, so we can take action. So we can take action. Finally, uh, we've we've talked before about the uh, fact that uh, with you not on the agriculture committee, you still uh, maintain a lot of interest on, uh, especially this next uh, farm bill cycle. Some of the folks that are on the committees, uh, House and Senator, are already talking about. Well, they want to lay groundwork for a farm bill in the next two years. Uh, are you going to be able to keep uh, keep keep your finger in, in place to uh, to make sure that when we get serious on that uh, after this next election cycle, you'll be uh, be able to be there, Ron? I've discovered that once you've been a chairman, you never stop being a chairman. The number of members who come to me to the floor on the floor and discuss what went on in the last hearing or what's coming up in the next hearing, or did I see this or did I see that? Uh, I don't mind being a den mother when it comes to something as important as farm bill policy. In production agriculture, I would tell you that we have a dramatic change in personality in the cha- in the ag committee leadership, with the Democrats being in control and former Chairman Peterson losing his reelection in Minnesota. Now you have David Scott uh, from Atlanta, the suburbs of Atlanta, a totally different person philosophically, a totally different person with his understanding ground in that role as chairman. And on the ranking member side, we've gone from uh, Chairman Conaway in West Texas. Uh, to a ranking member uh, blank GT Thompson in Pennsylvania, very diverse agriculture, but it's different than the ag we practice uh, in most of the rest of the country. Think about that depth of soil. Think about that rainfall. Think about the different weather patterns they have in places like Pennsylvania. That said, uh, this is going to be an interesting two years because Chairman Scott is very focused on the racial justice issues Mm -hmm. very focused on addressing a variety of things in the past. Uh, And and I'm not saying there aren't issues that have to be addressed, that should be addressed, that could be addressed. But traditionally, this is a two-year period where you look at the farm bill in a comprehensive way. You determine what worked, what didn't work, and you lay the groundwork for those markups, actual bill consideration in 2023, the beginning of not this Congress, but the next Congress. So, uh, I'm going to hold my breath, and I'm going to spend lots of quality time with all my friends on the committee and down at the department, and we're going to make sure that that we build off of the 14th, 18th Farm Bill as we built off of the 14th Farm Bill, because the world that farmers and ranchers are dealing with 
only gets more complicated, not less. And throw on top of that, Ron, the wild weather uh, in recent days in Oklahoma and across the southwest. Uh, I'm waiting to see what happened to the the roots on Linda's wheat in that mm-hmm. super hard 10 below zero freeze where I live. And I worry that not only were their calves lost, but there will be a lot of calves born in that cycle with no ears and no tails because they froze off. Mm-hmm. You just, no matter how good a herdsman you are, it's just at 10 below zero and the wind's blowing 20 miles an hour. It's tough. And I think there's an issue that we'll all need to be very careful in fertility testing our bulls this spring to make sure that uh, those cold temperatures didn't uh, didn't damage herd bulls. Very much. One last question, Congressman, uh, in regards to uh, what, what you're really uh, kind of focused on right now in your general circle of things, including your role on the Science Committee. What What's really out there that you're paying a lot of attention to in the immediate future? I'm trying to figure out how we undo the damage that COVID-19 has done to this country. When you literally go through a one-year shutdown, and we, even with three vaccines, even with the tens of millions of people who have been vaccinated, even with the progress we've made across the country, it's still going to take more months to get enough vaccine out there to get us to the point where we can go back to whatever the new normal is. Whether it is the land-grant universities, think about places like Oklahoma State uh, and and. And Langston University, for instance, or it's the national labs, or it's it's all manner of private research. For a year, this disrupted how science is conducted in this country. We know from agriculture, where we're very science-oriented, to things like uh, the COVID-19 vaccine, you have to have uh, a functioning, effective science uh, agenda in this nation to make sure that we not only are watching for what comes in the way of threats or opportunities, but we can respond. Think about how fast the COVID-19 vaccines were developed. If we had not spent the previous 30 years getting ready, supercomputers, the aggressive labs, gene sequence, sequencing, and all those kind of things, it would have taken not months, but years to have had a vaccine. So we've, we've got to help the OSUs and the Langstons and the research community in general in this overcome the last year and get those bright young men and women, undergrads, the grad students, get those programs back up and going. So that's a big part of my focus on the on the science committee. Thank you, Congressman. Congressman Frank Lucas from Oklahoma's third congressional district talking with us today on the long line from his office in our nation's capital on the road to rural prosperity. We'll see you soon on the road. Thanks for joining us for today's Road to Rural Prosperity podcast. You can join the conversation about how rural Oklahoma can prosper by looking for us on Facebook. And you can find our growing number of conversations on our website, ruralprosperityok.com. The Road to Rural Prosperity podcast series is a production of the Radio Oklahoma Ag Network and oklahomafarmreport.com proud to be a part of the family of the funk companies.